0: Let's, um, let's pray before I bring the word this morning and see what God does. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you that, like, in all seriousness, God, I thank you that so many people are here this morning when it would be easiest to sleep in, have a day off, and just watch Netflix all day. But, Lord, we're here to worship. We're here to connect with you. We're here to grow and uh, to bring you the service that you deserve, Lord God. So we just pray that you would move powerfully through this message, Lord God, that it would be your words, not my words. Lord, let truth uh, be the... Uh, the orchestrator of this message this morning in jesus name amen hey i want to start by just playing a little game um a little word play game word association game i love this sort of stuff and and hopefully this helps make my point of what i'm going to teach on this morning but if i was to say um if we do word association if i say clouds you would think rain see so do that it because it's happening right now it's, it's, it's relevant um, Noah's uh, asked, yeah. calm down, prophets of doom. No, it's fine, we're going to be okay. <laughs> no, it's right, that's right. And so we need to reclaim the rainbow that other people have stolen. Anyway, that's a different topic, for a different day. When, when you hear summer, what do you think? Beach. Beach, of course. When you hear book, you think reading. When you hear rubbish, you think English cricket team. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Amen. And if you're English, get your act together. When we hear worship, we think music. We think song, right? And that's not wrong. But my, my topic today is talking about what is worship. I want to answer two questions. What is worship and, and why should we worship? And, and that's what I want to wrestle with this morning. I think it's important when we hear the word worship to to ask the question, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by the word worship? Because I think so often, many of us, myself included, over time, we have reduced or condensed worship down to simply be this beautiful love ballad that we sing to God. And that's absolutely true. That's what worship... And we did that this morning. We've got a whole team that sacrifices their time and their talent to help us to do that. But is that what worship ultimately is? And if we're really honest in the business of life, in the, in the demands that we've got on us, I think we've allowed ourselves to slip into that mentality of thinking that that's the, ep- the, the, the epitome of worship is singing to God. And like I said, it certainly is an act of worship, but I, I don't think it's the fullness of what worship truly is. See, the word worship is, it comes from this word that you would know called worth. Ha, huh, there you go. And it looks, it sounds the same, it's very close. So worship, we bring that down to, to it means worth. So things that we decide have, that have value are things that we ultimately decide are worthy for us to worship because they are valuable things. We are created to worship. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not really a Christian, I'm not really a happy-clappy, so I, I don't think... The reason we are all humans are created to worship is because God has created us to love. There's something inside of us as humans that desire to be loved and also desire to love and pour love out. When we, we value something, we put worth on something because we love it. I value my wife. I put worth on her because I love her. And when we love something, we sacrifice for it, Right? Because that's what love does. Love is sacrificial. And throughout history, we can see a direct correlation between worship and sacrifice. Wherever there is worship, sacrifice is right there alongside it, doing what is required because that's what worship is. So, how do you know what you worship? How do you know what you worship? Well, you've got to follow your sacrifices. And when you follow your sacrifices, you will see what it is you worship. So, for example, if you sacrifice for your job or you sacrifice for your career, then you worship your career. If you sacrifice for your family, then you worship your family. If you sacrifice for your hobby, to go fishing or play golf or knit blankets, whatever it is, no judgment here, it's all good. But if you sacrifice, then you worship those hobbies those activities if you sacrifice for god then you worship god that's that's how the nature of worship works see the problem arises with all this is when our worship is disordered cuz we can multiple, worship multiple things we can sacrifice and love and put value and worth on many different things and we all do that but the problem arises And this is where the sin of idolatry kicks in is when the order of our worship is the wrong way around. When we're putting more value and more sacrifice on our hobby than we are God, then our worship is disordered and we commit the sin of idolatry. And so all immorality in the world is a result of idolatry. Because when it comes to worship, when we love something because it's got worth and we sacrifice for it and it becomes a priority, ultimately what we end up doing is obeying that thing. And worship is about obedience and following and we ultimately become a slave to those things because we follow them. So we've got to make sure that the things we put value on, the things we ascribe worth to, the things that we sacrifice for, the things that we love, the things that we will ultimately obey are things that God would say that's the correct order. And that's why when God gave the Ten Commandments, the first commandment was, you shall have no other God before me. I am the Lord your God. He is a jealous God. He is an envious God. Disordered worship is what will corrupt us. But the correct order of worship will actually pour God's blessing on it. And Jesus says uh, in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. It's about getting the order right in our worship. So Romans 12:1. Which is going to be the basis of this series. We're going to go through the next few weeks. Romans chapter 12. Says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that is what worship is. Worship is presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. So that the way we live our life, the decisions we make, the places we go, the people we hang out with, the things that we do, the thoughts that we have, should be holy and pleasing to God, because that's what worship is. Being a living sacrifice is to live a life of worship. So worship really is a lifestyle. To be Christian and to follow the ways of Christ, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, that is worship. Worship is more than a song. And that's the title of this series, More Than a Song. Because I want us to lift our eyes to not just condition ourselves to think, okay, I worship God when I come to church on a Sunday and I sing a couple of cool songs and I feel warm and fuzzy and that's worship. Tick that box, I'm done. No, no, no. Worship is not Sunday, it's Monday to Sunday. Worship is is how I treat my spouse. Worship is how I act in the workplace. Worship is how I treat someone when I see them down and out and hurting and suffering. Worship is to live your life like Jesus. It's a lifestyle. More than a song. So why? That's the first bit. What is worship? Worship is more than a song. Worship is to live your life as a living sacrifice. Like we said before, what we worship, ultimately we worship because we give it worth, because we love it, and then we sacrifice for it. And so if we worship God, then our whole being, our whole life, is a living sacrifice that is laid down for Him because we love Him, because we see the value and worth that He has and is worthy of us laying down our life. That's worship. So why? Why worship God? This is important to know. I don't, I don't want any of us to be, to be blind followers. I don't want anyone just to be like, oh, Justin said so, therefore I'm just going to do that. No, 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 nope, nope, nope. No, no. I'm just a dude standing in front of church telling them that God loves them. Like, we have to know for ourselves who God is, what God's done, and respond accordingly to that. Understanding why we worship. Makes becoming a living sacrifice a more willful and joyful response to God Himself. Let me say that again. Understanding the why of worshipping God makes becoming a living sacrifice a more willful and a more joyful response to God Himself rather than a dutiful sense of compliance to a religion. If worship is us having a dutiful response, to religion, then I'm out. Because that's not what Christ died for. Christ died to reconcile us to have a relationship with the Father, not for us to be compliant to a bunch of rules and religion. Jesus fulfilled the law. He is the fulfillment of that so that we who are now in Christ can have fullness of relationship with God the Father. And so when we understand that, it's a willful, joyful thing to lay down our life as a living sacrifice. It's a willful, joyful thing to understand that God loves me so much, it's easier for me to love Him back. That He first loved me, so now I love Him. And sort of, ultimately what I'm saying is, worship, understanding the why takes worship from I have to to I want to. I want to lay down my life because I know why it's so important. So back to Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers by the mercies of God. Or the NIV says, in view of God's mercy. Or the NLT says, I appeal to you brothers, because of what He has done for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because of what God has done. Because of His mercies. That's why we lay our life down. That's why we live a life of obedience. That's why we live a life as a living sacrifice. That's what worship is. So what what has He done that has made Him worthy of our love, worthy of our worship, worthy of our sacrifice? This is the why. What has God done? When we understand what God has done and the bigness of that and the magnitude of that and the eternal ramifications of that, worship, living sacrifice, Laying down our life becomes so much easier because we trust Him. He's already proven Himself faithful. And I've got a bunch of scriptures here. Like I've got scriptures coming out of my ears. Second Peter chapter 1, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Romans 8, which are just rich and dense with truth about what God has done for you, what God has done for me. And it's all stuff that we haven't deserved or earned or, or you know, earned enough religious brownie points to be rewarded with. This is just God's free gift to us because of the immense love with which He loved us. And I'll, I'll touch on these in just a second, but I want us to reflect. What has He done for you? And this is the beauty of communion is to stop and remember. Because We're all like sieves, right? God can pour his blessing in our life and do miraculous things and do great things. But the way life is structured and the business of stuff and those things fall out and we forget and we just get caught up in what's the next thing we'll do? Where's this place I've got to be? What's this thing I've got to achieve? And there's beautiful moments of God's faithfulness, God's kindness, God's power that is manifest in our life sometimes get forgotten by the wayside. But communion is this beautiful time to every week get together and just remember what Jesus has done. Because when we remember what he's done, when we keep that in the forefront of our minds, then again, that keeps us in this place of willful and joyful response to God himself, not a dutiful obligation to a religion. I don't show up to church because I have to. I show up to church because I want to. I tithe because I want to. Because I've seen God move powerfully. I I, I help other people because I want to, because I have to. I don't read my Bible in, in the morning because I have to. It's like I want to. I want to know God deeper because of the depths of what he's already done in my life. And the depths of what he's going to continue to do in and through your life. That God is not finished with you yet. He who began a good work and you will see it through to completion. Because he's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. And we might be here in the process of our perfection, our sanctification. And so look at all these amazing things God's done in this time frame. But he's also the perfecter and he's got so much to do in us and through us. Let's get excited about that as well. So remember what he's done and remember his promises are yet to be fulfilled and that makes it so much more infinitely easy to worship and live a life of surrender to him because of how good he is. Because of what God has done for us, in light of God's great mercies, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is spiritual worship. It's more than a song. It's more than a song. And I've got to remind myself and almost repent of God. I've, I've limited worship. I've put it in this cheap little category of just a song, an artistic expression. Whereas worship isn't this, worship is this. It's what I think about. It's who I spend my time with. It's who I spend my money on. It's how I steward the life you've given to me. It's how I live a life as a responsible Christian. That's what worship is. As I look around the room today, I see so many people who I've had pastoral meetings with you. We've prayed and fasted for addiction to be broken off your life, and it has been. I've prayed for your marriages to be restored, and God's done faithful things in restored marriages. I've seen healing happen in your life and your loved one's lives. I've seen financial breakthrough happen in, in so many people's lives here we they're just like overwhelmed with certain things and we've just trusted God and believed God and bang, breakthrough happens. God, uh, God just does what only God can do time and time again. So I want us to remember those things because those things will drive our why. Those things will, will fan into flame our affection for God and make being a living sacrifice easy. Because Jesus says, the life I leave for you, the life I, I, I woo you into. Because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And religion likes to throw more weight on there to make it all that what we can do, what we can achieve. And that's when burnout happens. That's when we get exhausted. That's when we get upset. That's when we get frustrated because we're trying to do things in our own strength that have already been done in his strength. And we've got to remember that. And we respond to that. It's incredible. And so the things I'm talking about, obviously, are very practical things. People have been healed, people have had breakthrough, people have had marriages restored, addictions healed. God will continue to do those things in and through us. But also, we've got to remember what he has done in a spiritual level, in a spiritual dimension. That, that what God has done in our life is more than just practical and temporary, temporary or practical or... Physical in this world, but God has done some things significantly in the spiritual realm that have eternal ramifications for all of us. It's phenomenal. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you, lives in me. Like holy hexos, that's amazing. Like, like, we forget that so easily. But if we had like, a deep, profound revelation and remembrance of that, like, surely that changes how we view our workplace. Surely that changes how we view our marriage. Surely that changes how we view that person that just drives us bonkers and want to just punch in the throat. Hypothetically, that's never happened to me or anyone in this room, I'm sure. But hypothetically... When we understand that the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us, that means we can have grace, we can have compassion, that God can heal us of those burning desires to hurt people and He can replace our heart of pain with a heart of grace and a heart of mercy. That we can pray for the sick and they will recover. We can trust God with the impossible and He will make them possible. Like we're on a lifelong journey of discipleship. It's not not a four-week course. Yeah, I've done that. I'm a disciple. No, no, no. It's daily. We take up our cross daily and we follow God on this exciting journey of life that He's called us to with ups, downs, roundabouts and all sorts of stuff in the middle. But through all of the complexities of life, He is faithful and He is good. And we remember what He's done for us and remember where He's taking us. Living sacrifice, tick, easy. God, my life is yours. Whatever you want. You want me to give? I'll give. Want me to love? I'll love. Want me to show up? I'll show up. Because he's done it all. I haven't earned it. And because he loved me and poured all that into me, now I can freely respond with love myself. And when we understand the why. The worship becomes, I get to. I want to. Not I don't have to. Do I have to serve on that roster? Do I have? I get to. It's incredible. Let's open our communion. Let's spend eight minutes in awkward plastic opening silence. (laughs) Again, we do communion to remember because we forget. We're like sieves. There it is. That never gets old. Wow, that's a good point. What are you wearing? Don't ask? Okay. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Are we good? So good. Now I'm going to throw a bunch of scripture at you. And I don't expect all of it to stick to the wall of your heart because there's a lot here, but there might be one thing that just phew, hits you. Let that one thing sink into your heart, into your mind. And let that one thing be the thing that you respond to this morning with communion. That we do this to obviously remember what Jesus has done for us and the bread represents his body broken for us. The blood that was shed is the juice. We don't literally drink blood I'm back-end to church. Um, symbols right they're just juice it's just bread like that's all they really are they're symbols of a much power principle a much power powerful reality of what god has done and this symbol reminds us of that so as i go through these things think about them allow your spirit to be open to his spirit through his word and see what sticks for you i'm gonna go through just the first five verses of of second peter one This is, again, looking at what what has God done for us. Understanding what God has done for us drives the why of us understanding how important it is to live a life of worship which looks like being a living sacrifice. So 2 Peter 1, verse 1. By the righteousness of Christ, we have a faith of equal standing with the apostles. Say what with the who now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the righteousness of Christ, and we have the imputed righteousness of Christ because of what he's accomplished on the cross for us, we now have a faith of equal standing with the apostles. The apostles that saw the miracles firsthand, the apostles that walked and ate with Jesus and ministered with Jesus, that saw the dead raised to life, the blind eyes healed, that saw the miracles. Because of our faith in Jesus, his righteousness has been accredited to us and we now have the same faith that is of equal standing with those apostles. So we can believe that God can use us just as powerfully as God used the apostles. We can believe that God will pour his power through us. That we are not, just because we're 2,000 years later, somehow you know, chronologically degenerate. No, no, like I said before, the same power that rose Christ from the day lives in us. The same faith was in the apostles is the same faith that's in us because of the righteousness of Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace is multiplied in us with the knowledge of Christ and our knowledge, the knowledge we have of Christ and our knowledge of knowing him. The more we know Jesus, the more peace and grace abounds in our world. Verse 3, his power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Now, I could just pull up stumps there. See you later. Let's have a great day. That, that alone is enough that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not most things, not some things, not a couple of things. Whatever it is that you need in relation to godliness and to live this life on this earth well, he's given it to you. He's given it to me. God doesn't give out in partial measures. He gives out exceedingly abundantly. God doesn't just give enough fish in the net of the fishermen so they can just fill the net. It's overflowing. Jesus doesn't provide just enough miracles for the for the 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 five thousand that were there. There was baskets left over. There's an abundance. God gives us everything we could possibly need in every situation because He's good and because He's faithful. Verse four: He's granted us His precious and very great promises to enable us to be partakers of the divine nature. Verse five: We have escaped corruption that comes from sinful desires. We all have sinful desires, right? Even though we're Christians, we're redeemed, we're supposed to be good people, we still have sinful desires because we're on this progress, this process of sanctification, becoming more like God. But there's still this sinful nature we ought to wrestle with, and this temptation, but God has set us free from the corruption that comes from it because we trust and put our faith in Him and Him alone. Because He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so we just trust Him. Ephesians 1 we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He chose, us before, he chose us in Him before the creation of the world. He predestined us to be adopted as His children because He loves us. He foreknew you. He called you. He chose you before you were even you because He loves us. He's given us His glorious grace. He's lavished His grace upon us. He has marked us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Let's go into Ephesians chapter 2. He has raised us up and seated us with Christ. Out of our sin, out of our corruption, out of the miry clay, and He has seated us in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That is phenomenal. He has shown us the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ. Jesus dying on the cross, redeeming us from our sins and being resurrected three days later is a demonstration of the kindness of God towards us. Romans 2.14 will say that. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance or leads to salvation. First, he's gifted us the grace that brings about our salvation. He's prepared good works for us to do. He's become our peace. He has made peace with us. He has built us to be a dwelling place for his spirit. Again, the same spirit that raised from that, that lives in you. And God has dwelt, uh, created in us the capacity for his spirit to be breathed into us and we have God's presence, God's spirit with us. Romans 8 He sets us free. He sent his son to condemn sin and fulfill the law for us so we don't have to fulfill that. He's given life to our mortal bodies. He's adopted us as sons. The Spirit intercedes for us. He works everything together for our good. He predestined us to be conformed in the image of his Son. He demonstrated his love for us by giving his Son for us. And Jesus himself, in Romans 8.34, is interceding for us. And the thing that clenches this all together for me in this neat little package is Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who could be against us? And we've just seen man why would God do all these things and give all these things if he isn't for us and if he's for us which we know he is then who can be against us nobody because nobody can do what God has done to demonstrate that he is for us therefore nobody can take away that because they don't have that same sort of power he is the name above all other names he is the King of Kings he is the Lord of Lords what he says and what he does is final now the enemy And our free will can try to distort that and distract us from that, but it cannot take that from us. Because God, if he is for us, then nothing can be against us if we are found in him. Going back to Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of what God has done for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship's more than a song. Worship's a life laid down. Being with Jesus, being like Jesus. That's worship. When we understand the why, it's a willful and joyful response to Him directly, not an obligation to a religion or a worldview that we need to comply with it's relational not organizational it's transformational not transactional it's love it's grace it's life so let's take our communion if you haven't spilt it already and let's thank god for what he's done in our life what he's done through our life so far And let's thank him in advance for the perfection of our life that is coming in the the days, weeks, months and years ahead. That he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. So God, as we take this bread, we take this juice which represents the sacrifice you made for us. Let us not just think about the sacrifice, let us think about the the ramifications, the implications, the result of this sacrifice, that it's given us brand new life, it's given us brand new hope, it's given us freedom, it's given us love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit. It's given us your Spirit, the same power, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. Ultimately, that's because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, paying the price of sin, the thing that separates humans from God. Jesus, I thank you that you paid the price for that in full. And we now get to live in this beautiful legacy of life as a result of that. And I thank you as we drink and as we eat, as we remember, as we reflect, that you would well up inside of us this heart of gratitude, this heart of thankfulness for the journey that has been so far, the journey that lays ahead for us. And we think about your kindness. We think about your goodness. We can't help but respond by worship. To live our life in such a way. To make our lifestyle reflect the lifestyle of Christ. To make our decisions that are informed and transformed by your word. As we become true spiritual worshippers. Let's eat and let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome, God. How are we going to finish just there? But before we do, I just want to put the invitation out to anyone who who may not have, have crossed that line of faith, that maybe you've been searching, thinking, asking questions. Those are all brilliant things to do, but you haven't yet come to that conclusion that I've got to choose to follow Jesus. I just want to give an opportunity today for anyone in that space to, to cross that line of faith. What does it mean to become a Christian? Well, it's quite simple, really. Romans 10.9 says if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. So that's the easy part. That's that's receiving the free gift that God has given to us. The free gift of grace that he lavishes upon anyone who will call upon his name. And then we begin this journey of following Jesus, of being with Jesus, being like Jesus. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's where the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and, and show stuff in our world that we probably need to work on or talk to someone about or you know, process through. Things that, from the past that need to be healed and moved on from. That doesn't have to be sorted now. That gets sorted along the way. What God's asking for now is just a response. Will you follow me? Not will you make yourself perfect to then be able to qualify to follow me, but will you just follow me now and allow me to, to use my grace and my kindness and my power to help you on the process of healing? So if that's you today you need to make that decision to, to follow Jesus to trust him with your life to trust him with your future and to ultimately trust him with your eternity that when the lights go out for you in this life that they'll come on again in the next life in paradise with him that they won't be eternally snuffed out that you won't cease to exist but you will go to a place of paradise where God is where every, every tear is wiped away Every sorrow is turned to joy. That starts when you rewind to today. That starts with making a decision now to follow Jesus. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart that he is Lord. And starts the process. And if that's you, come and see me. Let's chat after the service. I'd love to pray with you. I'm not going to bring you up the front in front of everybody this morning because I want this to be a genuine thing. And I want to chat to you about that and help you, give you a Bible, give you some advice. And look, look we're not going anywhere because we're trapped in this building because it's raining. So grab a coffee, come grab me for a chat. And uh, I would love that. And if you need prayer for any reason too, grab someone and grab a corner of the room and just get them to pray with you. That's the body of Christ, right? Looking after each other. So here we are. That's it. Romans chapter 12. We're going to unpack the rest of this chapter in the coming weeks. And look at what worship now looks like. We've we've determined now that it's not just a song. It's more than a song. So now what does the rest of Romans 12 uh, help us to see what worship really looks like as a living sacrifice? So that's it. God bless you. And let's uh, have some coffee together.